you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Tonight on The Readout. People know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it. Even by thinking about it. Two distinctly different approaches to two completely different situations. But why is Attorney General Merrick Garland moving so quickly to appoint a special counsel for the Biden documents when it took forever to do the same for Trump? Also tonight, the quote of the day comes from George Santos, who said with a straight face, I've lived an honest life. And now there's new reporting on the multiple investigations into his questionable finances. And did you hear? Joe Biden's coming for your gas stove. No, not really. But two weeks into the new year, it's a top Republican priority to talk about it, along with ending so-called wokeness and CRT and counting fetuses in the HOV lanes. We begin tonight just a little over two months since President Joe Biden's team discovered and immediately returned a small batch of classified documents from his time as vice president to the National Archives. We further learned today that at the end of December, the president's team discovered that additional documents were found at his Delaware home. Those, two were immediately turned over. And today we also had this announcement from Attorney General Merrick Garland. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr as a special counsel pursuant to Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. When classified documents are found outside of government confines, there are always questions that need to be answered. But it sure does feel like the attorney general was quick on the draw to make that announcement. Or maybe it just feels that way, given the agonizing slowness of similar actions taken against Donald Trump. I mean, let's not forget, it took a year and a half following the negotiating, the begging and the pleading by the National Archives and the DOJ to try to get back all the classified documents that Trump took. When he left the White House, before Garland appointed a special counsel to look into that, It started with the first request for documents by the National Archives back in May of 2021. They didn't get anything until January of last year, when, as we now know, classified documents were turned over. But for some reason, it took until November for it to result in a special counsel. And as I said, that was after multiple attempts by the archives and the DOJ to retrieve them. Numerous subpoenas and even a court ordered FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. It sure makes you wonder why the Justice Department appears to be handling these two presidents so differently. One reason could be because they think they could be heading toward a prosecution of Trump and want to be careful and do their due diligence before proceeding against a former president. There is reporting from The New York Times that some investigators on the special counsel's team believe the initial charging decisions against Trump will involve his mishandling of these documents and could come as early as this summer. Or is it something else? Perhaps having something to do with these people. Get that out 
The leaders of one of these groups, the Proud Boys, are currently on trial for seditious conspiracy, among other charges. That trial began today, and we will have more on that later in the show. It's one of a number of right-wing armed militia groups who have sworn allegiance to Trump and have demonstrated not only at the Capitol, but in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona, that they are more than willing to get violent at a moment's notice if they don't get their way or if Trump doesn't get his. The DOJ knows this movement on the right is a violent one that, according to FBI Director Christopher Wray, makes up the bulk of domestic terrorist threats. So in this case, you're not just dealing with a former president. You're dealing with a violent right wing movement disguised as a political party. Joining me now is Jen Psaki, MSNBC host and former White House press secretary and my friend and colleague. Uh, it's good to have you in the building and uh, as part of this network. But I have to ask you this because this is what has been bugging me about yeah. the situation. A lot of things are bugging me. (laughs) Well, I'm going to let you explain. I want you to explain how this really works. But with Trump, it literally has been a two-year saga Mm -hmm. of begging and pleading and begging and pleading. With Biden, there's a, you know, special counsel like in a hot minute. And it does make me wonder if at some level the Department of Justice fears Trump's base and fears the violent potential repercussions, January 6th style, of just investigating him for crimes. That may be, but I also think that they look to history a lot, and Merrick Garland is very, very careful about trying to avoid even the optics of politics, right? So naming a special counsel in this case means he is treating them, at least pursuing to investigate and look into these cases, equally. No president above the law, right? There's lots of reasons for that, and you have lots of legal (laughs) experts who will explain that. I don't think—no one wants a special counsel. I mean, you don't go into— a year before you may run for president and think, I want a special counsel this year. No one wants that. But I think what you've seen from the White House is a projection, without getting specific, and that is hard on the public front, of confidence that this was likely sloppy staff work during a transition and that they feel very open to having the special counsel look into this. Again, not what you want, but it may end up over the long term, even with short term pain, being to their benefit. Let me play Kevin McCarthy, because, of course, the the right has been enjoying the both sidesiness of it. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Watch what is happening right now with the president of the United States. Not once, but now we're finding in two different locations classified information just out there in the open. Here's an individual that's been in office for more than 40 years. Here's an individual that sat on 60 Minutes that was so concerned about President Trump's documents locked in behind, and now we find it just as a vice president, keeping it for years out in the open in different locations. When he when he tries to sound <laughs> sincere and authoritative, it actually just makes me laugh. But, uh, you know, for those who see it just on its mm. surface and say these two things seem the same, these are very different things, but I'm going to leave it to you to explain how. Yes, very different. One, Donald Trump, report by many reports, asked for documents that were classified to be put in boxes and removed from the White House, right. knowingly, okay? Right. There is intent right Including there. Including nuclear secrets. Including, yes, exactly, reportedly nuclear, nuclear secrets. Then, when the archives looked for those documents, he did not return them. The FBI issued a subpoena. He defied the subpoena. We still have no idea what those documents are. We don't know what he's done with them, who he shared them with. And the photo evidence we've all seen, that amazing photo, shows that he did not take good care of those documents. So many people could have seen them. On the other side, uh, Joe Biden has said he didn't know the documents were there. They could have been in boxes, and we'll find this through the process. And neither did the National Archives, by the way. Neither did the National Archives. They didn't go looking for them. No one was looking for them. (laughs) Okay. So these were in boxes. As soon as they learned 
they they called the National Archives. The National Archives referred to the Department of Justice, and they have been very transparent about that. Very, very different circumstances. And just explain, because you have been a part of multiple administrations, yeah. so you know how this works. When a vice president, in this case, this was when pre, now President Biden was vice president Biden under President Obama. Yeah. A great trigger for the right, by the way. Um whether it's a vice president moving out of office or a president yeah. moving out of office, what's the process of getting their things and separating their things from our things, from the, the American people? Yes, things? exactly. I've been a part of lots of transitions. Yes. Um, uh, it is a very hectic time for a lot of reasons. One being staff start to depart. Staff leave not on the last day. Most right. don't leave on the last day. And you are trying to pack up eight years in the case of Vice President, then Vice President Biden, of papers and work while also, uh, you know, transitioning with the new team that's coming in and unwinding all of your uh, pursuits while you were in office. So it is a very, very hectic time. That job is typically done by staff, not not the national security head. Uh, right. They don't have the time to do that. It's done at a staff level. They, they're dumping documents into boxes and moving them out of the building. And is there is there a national security review of the boxes before they get moved? In my experience, there is no process where the boxes are then gone through yeah. with every box that leaves the building. Sure. Now, because um, I'm a believer that public servants of whatever party do it for the right reasons, yeah. they typically follow what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. You put national, you put classified documents away. You don't take documents you shouldn't right. take with you. But it is, there's also a hectic nature of a transition with literally hundreds of thousands of documents yeah. that need to be filed, moved, yeah. are archived. Um, and that is what happens during that period of time. Uh, it, it's, it's important to have that explanation in that context. Jen Psaki, thank you very much. Thank you, Always Joy. love having you on. All right, let's bring in Alberto Gonzalez, U.S. Attorney General in the George W. Bush administration and Dean of the Belmont University College of Law. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it because, you know, you ha were the leader of a Justice Department um, that got accused of politicizing um, itself, right? And so when I, I'm asking you this question, Every, every Justice Department gets that accusation. <laughs> Firm but fair. But, but so in this case, I am not accusing um, the current uh, attorney general of politicizing it. It seems to me, though, that his decisions are political in this sense. He made sure to appoint a special counsel, like immediately against a Democratic president, but waited two years, really, to act against a president who seemed to willfully take documents and willfully take classified documents. He seemed to go over and above to try to seem to be extra fair to Donald Trump, but is acting extremely rapidly and aggressively against Joe Biden. Am I reading that wrong? Talk me down. Yeah, you're reading it wrong uh, <laughs> because the circumstances are, in fact, different. There's quite, a, there's quite a difference in looking at a criminal prosecution for a former president as opposed to a sitting president. Uh, I think without question, when you have a situation of a possible investigation of a sitting president, that is the prime example of the reason why the special counsel statutes exist, because this is an individual who actually nominated Merrick Garland to the position that he currently holds. And despite what, what we all think in terms of uh, the integrity of, of uh, General Garland, uh, nonetheless, um, it is impossible to avoid at least the appearance of a bias if, in fact, Merrick Garland is in charge of the investigation 
for the person that put him in that all in that position. So it's different with respect to a former president, and and I think the way that that we deal with former presidents is is just different in terms of historically. What do you do with someone who's who's in, who's uh, accused or suspected of criminal wrongdoing? Uh, with respect to existing presidents, uh, I think the framers looking at the Constitution and the constitutional structure of our government really, I think, had in mind that if you had someone in office who is accused of committing a crime, what you do is you first impeach him, the president, and then you remove the president um, through a trial in the Senate, and then you deal with him in the criminal justice system. Uh, you don't have to worry about doing that, and that would not be the process with respect to a former president, simply because they no longer are in office. So there, in my mind, it's, there's, there's quite a difference that would justify the decisions by Merrick Garland and the timing of those decisions. Okay, well, that's fair, and I appreciate that explanation. But what, one of the things that I think is galling to some folks when they look at this, right, is that I think about the way that people are treated when they take classified documents just in general. Um, there is just a difference between the two, right? And you said you supported, um, you, were, you, you were okay with the search of Mar-a-Lago, right? You'd have a problem with that. Well, the search was done according to law. There was probable yeah. cause, man. A warrant issued by 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 a magistrate judge, and so yep. no no problems with the search. Okay, um, but I think about people like Reality Winner who leaked a t- one t- a top secret report uh, on Russia hacking and received a five year sentence after pleading guilty. She did that. Um, it, she admitted to doing it, but she did it to try to help the United States because she believed Russia, and she was right. They were attacking us, uh, attacking our elections. General David Petraeus, a, a national hero in, in many ways, pleaded guilty in 2015 to a misdemeanor charge of mishandling classified documents. He was sentenced to two years probation, got a $100,000 fine. Reality winner got five years. Sandy Berger, uh, a member of the Clinton administration, fined and sentenced to two years probation. There didn't seem to be any hesitation with these people regarding what they did with classified documents. At this stage, Donald Trump is a civilian. Why is he not being treated like every other person who is accused of taking and holding classified documents illegally? Well, let's be realistic here. There are going to be different results depending on the facts and circumstances. The other thing that everyone loses uh, sight of is that every prosecutor has a discretion to charge the case and to prosecute the case in the manner that he or she deems appropriate. And you may have a prosecutor that's extremely aggressive and and moves forward at a much more rapid pace, uh, seeking perhaps even harsher penalties than another prosecutor. So, but it's all a matter of discretion. And that doesn't mean that someone is getting um, unequal justice as opposed to someone else. That's just the way that our system works. Because we allow our prosecutors to exercise their good judgment and exercise discretion depending on the facts and circumstances. But the reason that it seems disparate is that you look at the average sentences for people who attacked our Capitol, um, beat up police officers, assaulted police officers, um, could have, you know, and, and left five people dead, including one of their own. The average sentences here are, what, 14 months? People are getting 15 days. 48 days is the average sentence. It does seem like this Justice Department is either concerned about the backlash of treating people who support Donald Trump too harshly, Uh, or that they fear the repercussions of dealing with Donald Trump the way that they would deal with, let's say, a Democratic president accused of the same thing? 
oh, I don't get that at all. I don't I don't believe this this Justice Department is in any way cowed by the repercussions of being strict in terms of uh, seeking harsher penal, uh, sentences. And I think that, uh, uh, listen, I, I, I agree. I'm, I, I wish that the sentences were harsher. Uh, but I'm not prosecuting the case. I don't know what evidence uh, we can be presented to, to a jury successfully. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I but the notion that this the, the decisions with respect to accepting the sentences in these cases, uh, January 6th rioters, rioters is because they're somehow afraid or cowed by the repercussions from from Donald Trump and, and MAGA. I don't I don't agree with that one at, at all. Well, I appreciate that. You see, sometimes you got to have somebody try to talk you down. And I appreciate you doing that. Uh, Former U.S. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, thank you very much for being here. Up next on The Readout, Republican Congressman George Santos says that he has lived an honest life. Okay, but which one? (laughs) The the Readout continues after this. (laughs) Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. He speaks. The talented Mr. Santos finally decided that it was his time to share his story. And guess how he addressed his constituents on Steve Bannon's podcast, of course, which was guest hosted by none other than Matt Gates. And here is what Santos said. I came here to serve the people, not politicians and party leaders, and, uh, and I'm going to do just that. I was elected by 142,000 people. Until those same 142,000 people tell me they don't want me, uh, we'll find out in two years. Yeah, I mean, who cares if those folks already called on him to resign? In that same interview, Santos fibbed a couple more times, telling Gates that he didn't have any preconceived notions on what committees he wanted to serve. Not true. Back in November, he broadcast to millions of New Yorkers that he hoped to serve on the House Financial Services or Foreign Affairs Committees. Based on his fake 14-year background in capital markets and his multicultural background, he also refused to tell Gates how he was able to loan his campaign seven hundred thousand dollars i've worked my entire life i've lived an honest life i've never been uh accused sued of of any bad doings really well despite his claims we continue to get disturbing new information about his tangled web of lies mother jones has new reporting on one person who may be key to unraveling santos's super sketchy campaign finances that person his campaign treasurer is named in a recent complaint filed with the federal election commission alleging Santos illegally hid the source of the money that he loaned to his campaign through a straw donor scheme. Late this afternoon, the New York Times reported that additional questions are emerging about a state political action committee run by that campaign treasurer and by the congressman's sister. According to the Times, the PAC 
called Rise New York was apparently paying for wages and professional services for Santos's campaign staff, including his press secretary. The PAC also seemed to pay for expenditures that just so happened to take place at many of Santos's favorite restaurants and gas stations. Now, PACs are allowed under state law to give directly to candidates or to authorize committees, but they can't spend it just any way they want and in any other ways. Well, I'm joined now by David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones and author of American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. A subtle title yes, for a yes, subtle yes. man. Um, David, explain to me, because I am fascinated by, I mean, yeah. the, the lies are kooky and weird, Yeah. but the money, the money. where did he get it? Well, we don't know. And I have to say, having covered politics I hate, for a couple of decades, yeah. I've never seen a single congressional campaign that has led to so much investigative journalism. In the yeah. last few days, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Daily Beast, Talking Points Memo, and Mother Jones, and probably others, have all had very different yes. breakthrough investigative pieces, including the one we put out today with my colleague, Noah Leonard. And the, the money's flowing in a couple of different ways. There's the $7,000 that comes into his campaign. The Times talks about hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in possibly through an illegal outfit that he set up. There is money coming in personally, coming into the campaign. There are disbursements going out that are not identified where the money is going. And what we focused on in particular was that he, at the same time, all this is going on, he's also trying to make money in politics. He and a bunch of people he worked with at a company in Florida that closed down after it was alleged to have run a Ponzi scheme. Now, he was not implicated in this, right. but the company was. He and several colleagues there, with his treasurer from Long Island, people in Florida, treasurer in Long Island, they got together, formed a company that then tried to make money off a woman raising a lot of money to run against AOC okay. in a district next to him. Now, he's running for Congress. He has a campaign treasurer, and he is still now trying to work with these people to bring in money into his own pocket. Yeah. Uh, this company called Red Strategies USA is hitting up other Republicans in the New York area to bet, get money. And it makes some, and then it suddenly stops and doesn't do anything. And we don't know why. Like a lot of his enterprises, they come right. and they go. And the thing is that he's claiming on his financial disclosure forms that in a period of one to two years, he made between $3.5 million and $11.5 million dollars in income and this and is dividends. after not being able to pay his rent they couldn't pay after he had a $55,000 a year job right this is money and you know what and it is against the law to lie on these disclosure sure. statements and he even Matt Gates even with a friendly interview today with Matt Gates when Gates asked him about the $700,000 that he says came from the company that paid him millions mm-hmm. he could not identify the source and he made a joke that it wasn't from Burisma or China so he is hiding the source of this income, he's, his, his campaign fi- finance filings look really dodgy with money coming in, money going out. And at the same time, he's creating this, I don't want to call it, no, I don't know if we can call it grifting, but this other source of revenue with using his political connections to raise money in other campaigns. Right. 
it is a you know it is a definition of a tangled Absolutely. web here. And why is Florida always involved in everything? Uh, let, I know, I'm sorry. It's about always that. <laughs> I, I knew Florida was going to come up eventually. So so at this point, as you said, there's this yes. tangled web that where he might have lied on his disclosure forms, which as you said is yes. illegal. He has this pack that's paying his sister. Yeah. People are earning money off it personally. He's going to his favorite restaurants. All of this on this fundraising dime. You now have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven House members who have called on him to resign. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Diaz-Bazito was on uh, earlier mm-hmm. today on MSNBC saying it's, he's got to go, right? But Kevin McCarthy seems dug in to stick with him. Well, Why? We, we know. I think it's pretty obvious. He has a four-person majority. Right. He can't lose anybody. You know, people say, if it's that close, why does it matter? Well, it matters because... People move on, people get sick, people pass. And if you're going to have a close vote on something, you need every vote you can get, particularly if there's a recall vote, you know, right. which he has now given, you know, the, the terrorists in the Republican Party the right to do to basically have a no confidence vote anytime. So every vote matters. I think it's pretty clear that if Santos, you know, either at some point will not be a member of Congress sure. in that district and it's likely to go back to a Democrat. So if, he pushed if he pushed or threw Santos out, which the House does have the power to do, sure. it could become a Democratic seat. McCarthy, we've seen how much he's traded away in the last week Who or so. Dignity. Yeah. So I don't think he's not he, he's not going to force Santos out and lose another vote. He's you know, he said today it was really interesting. He said, well, everybody's innocent until they're proven guilty. Yeah. Now, that's true in a court of law. But if someone comes in and starts lying and, you know, and, and, and snorting drugs, you know, on, 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 on the House floor, whatever they're doing, you can you can come to a conclusion, say that right. person should not be yeah. a member of this body. So he is hiding behind this, you know, this rhetoric when it's quite clear, as we see with the New York state Republicans, they believe he's yeah. dragging down the party. They yeah. want him gone. McCarthy says my lifeline is really short yeah. in the House. I can't afford to get anybody go. It's going to be interesting to see how this come back with more developments, because my other question is, why him? Why would this person be fundraising specifically for him in a seat that was likely going to be Democratic? Well, like the seat fact that he got so much so money, much money. Yeah. is very mysterious. It's very mysterious. Uh, David Horn, always appreciate you. And by the way, when uh, the speaker says that he was elected, no, he wasn't elected. Somebody they thought was George Santos, who no one knows who he is. Uh, Thank you very much, David Horn. Really appreciate you. Still ahead, prosecutors present their opening arguments in the sedition trial of five members of the Proud Boys, arguing that they did everything except stand back and stand by on January 6th. More next. list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. federal government began making its case today against members of the right-wing extremist group, the Proud Boys, for their role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Former Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio is charged with seditious conspiracy and obstruction of an official proceeding, among other charges. With four other defendants, Ethan Nordine, Joseph Biggs, Zachary Rell, and Dominic Petzola. Prosecutors played this infamous moment from the 2020 presidential debate. What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and white supremacists and right boys. Stand back and stand by. U.S. Attorney Jason McCullough told the jury these men did not stand back. They did not stand by. Instead, they mobilized. It's the second January 6th trial that could corner, could garner a conviction on seditious conspiracy charges. In November, Oath Keepers leader Elmer Stewart Rhodes and his deputy, Kelly Meggs, were convicted of that very crime. Now, as you'll recall, Rhodes and Tario met in a garage in Washington the night before the siege on the Capitol. I'm joined now by Andy Campbell, senior editor at HuffPost and author of We Are Proud Boys, the perfect person for this. You were in that courtroom today. We're going to show a couple little sketches from it. Talk about the atmospherics in the room. Well, I mean, you have, uh, first of all, the, the DOJ's case today was not unlike the one you see coming from the January 6th committee uh, investigating January 6th. You know, they're arguing that the moment Trump said, stand back, stand by, like you said, the Proud Boys started gearing up for civil war. Now, because there's five Proud Boys uh, defense attorneys, you have this whole cavalcade of different characters out there um, defending their Proud Boys in different ways. Some of them were a little successful. Yeah. Some of them were absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. and spent their time, you know, talking about how the Proud Boys aren't actually racist, which is, of course, untrue. Yeah. Uh, but going off topic. Off sure. topic. I mean, in one case, I mean, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, the guy who got convicted of conspiracy, he said the same thing. I don't believe the Proud Boys are white nationalists. I think they've been sloppy and let white nationalists infiltrate their group. That's all I'll say. You wrote the book on the Proud Boys. That seems like horse pucky to me, but... Absolutely. I mean, the Proud Boys have white supremacist tenets at their core. Gavin McGinnis, their founder, said anybody can join the Proud Boys as long as they accept and agree with the idea that white men were responsible for success of the West. So (laughs) there's white supremacist tenets here, and they use their few people of color, sort of catapult them and show them uh, aloft as as the reason that they're not racist. And they do this with Enrique Tarrio, their chairman, and they do this with even the wives of some Proud Boys who are black. I mean, this is a constant theme uh, with them. Showing that we're not racist means we couldn't be out there right. uh, uh, doing racist things. And certainly they have. Uh, you know, Enrique Tarrio to me is a, a, a fascinating sort of terrifying character. I mean, this is a guy who's Afro-Cuban from Miami, um, you know, presents visually as, as a black man, but he's ripping down uh, Black Lives Matter signs. That's why he was arrested. That's why he wasn't actually free to be in D.C. on January 6th. But as you said, he's pushed forward as the front man. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to do time and get convicted because the case against him is no different than the case against Elmer Stewart Rhodes. These are people like him that are going to go to jail. And for what? For Donald Trump. 
right? And they see Donald Trump as, as the main reason for being. They are out there fighting for GOP grievances. But part of what makes this trial so interesting is that it's almost a mob-like trial. You have Proud Boys who have already pleaded guilty, ready to testify against their own. Right. And you have Enrique Tarrio's connections to people like Roger Stone in Donald Trump's inner circle. And so if the prosecution wants to fry some big fish here, they could use that testimony to try and get more information about extremist connections to people like Roger Stone and Trump's inner circle. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, which route they take here. So the, the, the Trump stand back, stand by statement obviously came up in court today. Are connections to him being made, at least at the top of this trial? Not at the top of this trial. Like I said, it's very much in line with the January 6th committee's investigation. I mean, they are proving that the Proud Boys took that quote and started recruiting, started gathering money, started gathering weaponry and and doing what they thought was civil war for Donald Trump. So they're drawing the connection. Now, defense attorneys were out there saying today, blaming Trump saying, this isn't my client. Trump was the one who brought people to D.C. Trump was the one who incited them to go to the Capitol. And Trump was the one that wouldn't stop them when the violence started. So they may use Trump as their big excuse here. As their big excuse. What's interesting is that you have members of Congress who are defending, essentially saying that these people, in their minds, I guess, are the persecuted, uh, you know, patriots, right? And sort of defending them. But you haven't really seen right-wing and Trump himself groups— supporting them financially. Mm. Are any of these people coming in saying, you know, I've got Trump's paying my legal bills? Is is there any actual support for them from him? We're still looking for big mega donors of the Proud Boys. But one of the concerning things uh, that I found in my book is that, you know, regular people have been donating to Proud Boys causes because a lot of America under Trump believes that these are our freedom fighters out there fighting for our grievances. And so the Proud Boys going forward, their violence is continuing and people are still supporting them. I'm hoping that this case has a chilling effect on that overall GOP violence that we're seeing in the streets, because so far the answer is no. So it's not even slowing down, even knowing these people are on trial for their lives. They've been mobilizing day to day, even though their leaders are sitting behind bars. So yeah. the, the, the GOP grievance machine and that violence machine is still yeah. out there working today. It's scary. Uh, Andy Campbell, thank you very much. Thank Perfect you. person to talk to on this. Thank you so much. Up next, uh, I'm sure Republicans are going to unveil their big plan to fight inflation just any day now. That is, uh, unless they're too busy defending their sacred constitutional right to own a gas stove. Back in a second. When Republicans sought to recapture the House and Senate last year, their tactic was clear. Riding the wave of fury over inflation and howling from the rooftops that it was somehow President Biden's fault. Record inflation all across this country at 40-year highs. Biden's energy policies, which have made gas and utilities more expensive. The three reasons are inflation, crime, and the border. Inflation, of gas prices rising, of the cost of living as you go to the grocery store. High inflation, high crime, open borders, fentanyl. That's what we're talking about. Inflation, inflation, inflation. The key issue for the Republican Party, who vowed to tackle sticker shock and bolster the economy. It was, of course, a tactic to hammer Democrats and pin it all on Biden, despite inflation being an international phenomenon hitting the entire world, not just the U.S. But here's some good news. Annual U.S. inflation fell in December to its lowest level in more than a year. Gas prices also plunged for the fifth time in six months, giving families some breathing room. It's an inconvenient development for Republicans, given that Biden is still president. Not that they're doing much about it anyway. 
Since taking power, House Republicans haven't focused on inflation at all, choosing instead to vote for defunding the IRS, but really IRS employees, based off bogus fears that an army of militarized tax collectors are coming for the middle class. While also voting on anti-abortion bills and approving a weaponization panel to investigate federal law enforcement and national security agencies for daring to investigate conservatives. And of course, Donald Trump. It's what House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries has renamed the Select Committee on Insurrection Protection. But we're not hearing so much about inflation these days, are we? Even from the governors, like Ron DeSantis, whose bid for re-election felt more like a presidential campaign, but who now spends most of his time and Floridians' tax dollars battling Mickey Mouse drag shows and shouting about gas stoves. Then we have Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, another governor with a White House glint in his eye whose state is pushing to deem a fetus a passenger in a car, allowing pregnant drivers to use the carpool lane on highways. It's a thinly veiled attempt by anti-abortion Republicans to further curtail abortion rights by advancing so-called personhood laws. And then there's Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the newly minted governor of Arkansas, whose day one orders focused on prohibiting Arkansas schools from teaching critical race theory. Sanders also signed an executive order on a a crucial matter that has nothing to do with her state's high poverty rate or its childhood hunger problem or how COVID hospitalizations in Arkansas were in the 400s. Nope, nothing on any of that. Instead, within hours of being sworn in, Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed an executive order banning the term Latinx. That'll sure put food on the table, Arkansans. Congrats. The right's obsession with telling you what to think, what to read, what to do with your body, even what to say, is getting creepier and more aggressive by the day, even downright authoritarian. A new police video exposes one Republican's literal attack on black voters and what the Republican platform is really about. Well, that is next. Newly obtained video by The Guardian shows heavily armed Miami-Dade police officers ambushing an unarmed black man at gunpoint as part of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' crackdown on voter fraud. The man who was arrested in August was accused of illegal voting. During- we got one in this room over here. Miami-Dade police, open the door. Go open the door. Go open the door. Come outside, man. Let me talk to you for a second. Uh, hold on, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come outside for a second. Step out. Come outside. Come outside. Step out. Step out. Come outside. Come outside. Come outside. Come outside. Come outside. Come outside. Come out. Come outside. Take a seat right over here. Come out. 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 Come during another arrest on the same day, police were shown carrying semi-automatic weapons. I'm sure these tactics are totally not meant to send an intimidating message to other black voters in Florida. Totally not at all. Join me now. Michael Steele, MSNBC political analyst, former RNC chair and host of the Michael Steele podcast. And, you know, Michael, uh, always great to see you, my friend. We talk a yep. lot. We talk a lot about the unseriousness of the Republican Party in this era. It's both unserious and serious because on the serious side, the, the DeSantis intimidation game is strong. You know, these arrests of people, in this case, um, these voters were given voter registration cards by canvassers. They genuinely believed they had the right to vote. 
Um, and this is a deliberate undermining of a constitutional amendment approved by like 65 percent of Florida voters giving um, former felons their rights to vote back. But DeSantis, I, it, it seems to me that these violent arrests, these arrests with full guns uh, you know, showing, are meant to scare the hell out of black voters. And I talked to people who were in the you know, voter turnout game down there and said that it did. So let, let's get, put this in the proper context. You have police fully armed, battle gear, if you will, flak jackets, the whole thing, guns drawn, going to arrest someone for um, armed hijacking of a car, um, uh, attempted murder, uh, rape. Um, what? Oh, voter fraud. <laughs> voter fraud. So that's how you're going to approach the community with voter fraud. Is it any wonder why African-Americans, not just in Florida, but around the country, are so uh, fed up, frustrated, afraid, all of those words when it comes to their encounter with the police? Right. If that's what you're going to do on voter fraud. And so you're absolutely right that the idea that the governor believes that he can just sort of willy nilly circumvent because he doesn't like uh, the the outcome of the voters choice to re-empower um, felons, not violent felons. Right. Yeah. Not not those who were convicted of murder and things like that, but those who, you know, had a felony, you know, drug possession record mm -hmm. record or something like that, that they aren't allowed back into society. And, and to use these types of intimidation tactics, I'm just telling you, as we get ready for the 24 cycle, this is yeah. just the beginning of it. This is just the beginning of what we're going to see um, with governors like DeSantis in places like Florida. And, and I mean, the thing is, you know, this is a governor uh, who has the Proud Boys running rampant, not only in the state. And we had a, an expert on that said that Florida has become a hotbed of far right wing movements. And he put a supporter of the Proud Boards, Proud Boys on the board of the Broward County School Board. Um, there were Nazis marching, waving his banners, and he did nothing about that. So he's sort of inviting fascism in and telling, you know, black voters who don't vote the way he likes, shut up at telling people who don't say what he likes, who think don't think like he likes, don't love who he, he says you can, want to put a mask on their kids, shut up. It's full fascism. So meanwhile, let's put the pin in that. You've got this sort of open push toward a fascistic kind of style of governing in the state of Florida. And then you have this unserious side. That's the serious bit. Then you have the unserious stuff. To other voters, to conservative voters, what Republicans are saying is, damn it, they're going to take your gas stove. Right. So the message to black voters is a serious one. Be afraid all the time. The message to white conservatives is defend your gas stoves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is striking about all of that is that DeSantis was overwhelmingly reelected. So that's pin you put in the serious stuff was OK with Florida voters. Because a lot of times these voters don't think it impacts them. It's not going to impact. I, I don't live in that neighborhood. I don't do voter fraud. They do voter fraud, right? That's them, not me. Um, and as long as you have someone in this, it is the M.O. of Donald Trump. It is the M.O. of guys like DeSantis, that as long as they're able to perpetuate that uh, on the serious side, then they flip the script 
on the non-serious stuff like CRT or caravans coming to your neighborhood or guess that, you know, you got police are now going to come and take the gas stove out of your house. <laughs> um, it, it, you begin to get a full flavor of just how they approach the electorate. But the, the damning part for me is not the actor, in this case, the governor, but the people who applaud it with their vote. Yeah. And that, to me, foretells a, a more serious problem that I'm not going to say you're too dumb to see it because you're not. You know exactly what you're getting when you cast mm -hmm. that vote for candidates like that. At the end of the day, this is not a situation like Santos, where he looked you in the eye and lied to you about what who he was and and all of that. They just tell you straight up, you yeah. know, we're going to cut cut back on your access to the ballot box. We're going to fill your head full of crazy stuff and you're going to go along with it. And so uh, it's going to be an, a troubling time in many respects. Um, mm -hmm. It's good to see the level of activism that's out there on the grounds where people are trying to fight back against this. But it's going to be a long slog because a lot more people want it than don't want it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, and for African-Americans specifically, I mean, there was a, a Pew poll that said only 6% told Pew Research that they were willing to vote for a Republican in their congressional races. They're chasing voters of color away, but it seems like that's the goal, right? And to silence the rest, because in Florida, the turnout was minimal among African-American voters. Michael Steele, um, thank you. And that is tonight's readout. you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.